Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Now, here's a little story I got to tell. This is Giants Amongst Us, where we share in that unique human experience, and where you'll also hear real stories that are told by real people, people just like yourself. It's good to be back for another sit down. I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're in good spirits. If this is your first time tuning in, pull up a chair. Please do stay a while. And if right now you're in a dark spot, you feel like you've been pinned to a corner or you're in the mud stuck like Chuck, no hope, feeling helpless. Let these stories remind you that things can in fact change, that you're worth the effort. It's going to take a little doing, but you're not alone. And the human spirit is capable of some amazing things. There's two ways we can approach life. One of them is just to accept things the way that they are. Hey, it's just the way that it is. The other one is to accept responsibility to change the situation. How much different does that sound? One is being passive and the other one is taking action to be accountable and responsible for oneself. That right there could be the beginning of change and new experiences. And why I wanted to have this sit down today, because that is something that I struggled with for years on top of years on top of years, because I was the one always pointing the blame. It was always somebody else's fault. Every time something fell apart, every time something didn't go the way I wanted it to go, every time I slipped up, messed up, whatever it was, it was always somebody else's fault. I was pointing the finger, that victim mentality. Boy, did I love to wear that jacket. That was all me. And how do you look like when you're pointing the finger? You ever notice that one finger is pointing out and three right back at yourself? It's time to check yourself. And for the longest, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. The other day or a few days ago, I was having a nice conversation with my wife. We were sitting around the living room and talking about some of the things we struggled with coming up and what helped us along the way. It's always good when you have somebody that you can confide in, you know, and they're going to listen to you in a non-judgmental way and give you some honest feedback, even if it doesn't feel good to hear it. I think we all need that. Keeps you grounded. So that brought up my thoughts about how I was acting for so long. There was a time in my life where drugs and alcohol took precedence over everything. It didn't matter if it damaged the relationships that I had with family members. It didn't matter if I lost jobs over it. It didn't matter if it was a big part of me not being able to open up to experience new relationships in life because I was afraid of being vulnerable. I was afraid of being hurt and I was afraid of just dealing with my emotions. What were you running from? My wife had asked me. Thinking back, I don't really know what it was. I guess we all could have our reasons. Was it because my parents, after they divorced, I felt let down? I felt 
betrayed and the anger, the resentment, the bitterness, the grudge that I held, did that have something to do with it? I'm not pointing blame because it was neither one of their faults. These were issues, these were emotions that were eating me up inside and I didn't know how to express myself. I didn't want to express myself. The only time that I really did when I was young, my parents were divorced when I was 13. We were living with my mom. My dad would come visit us every other weekend, but my mom was raising us. She was working a full-time job. Sometimes she was working a part-time job on top of the full-time job. So she had her hands full. Three boys, three growing boys, acting a fool a lot of the time, kicking up dust in the front yard, knocking over furniture in the living room. But no, I don't blame the separation. Relationships grow apart, people grow apart, things happen. But at that time in my life, I wasn't able to express my emotions and I kept everything bottled up so I had a lot of anger, I had a lot of frustration, a lot of hurt. And I was depressed, but I wasn't voicing myself to anybody else. I would write in a journal pad, and a lot of times those weren't the warmest of words that I would put on that notepad. They were distorted, grim, twisted, angry, violent, but that was a way I vented. That was one of the ways. Another way was I lashed out. I had a bad temper, quick tempered. You know, lash out, no control. But I don't say that to taint my childhood because I wouldn't change it for anything. Growing up where I did, on the street that I lived on, with my two brothers, on that cul-de-sac, we had kids at every house our age. All day, every day, we were outside playing, from sunup to sundown, and even past when it was summertime. I'm talking 11, 12 o'clock at night, we're outside playing hide-and-go-seek, hiding up trees, falling down trees, scraping our knees on the concrete, having boxing matches in the corner, playing tackle football on dirt. <laughs> and then on the street, playing baseball, football, kickball, everything to do with a ball. Throwing it, kicking it, it's hitting car windows, setting off car alarms, it's hitting kitchen windows, garage doors, the neighbors or the older kids coming outside yelling at us, go take that to the park, go to the high school. But we always wanted to play on the street. 10, 15 kids outside running around. You know, we would get on the bikes right over to the next street and have water balloon fights against them. We would have basketball tournaments against them. Go to the high school swimming, which was right down the street during the summertime. And when, and when it was closed and after hours, we would jump over the gate and go swimming. Every now and then get chased by the, by the school security. <laughs> so we had a blast. It was active. We were always doing something, sometimes getting into a little bit of trouble, knocking fences over, you know, being reckless and just untamed in a way. Kids being kids, man, I couldn't even imagine having that now. Coming home after work or you're just sitting in the living room trying to relax after a day at work and then you have a ball hitting your window or you see a kid jumping over your fence to grab a ball, jumping back over the fence to get away. Man. So that's how it was. And like I said, at 13, my parents separated. I didn't take it so well. And I don't know if it was then or before, but I was always known as the grumpy one. I think it probably escalated after that. I was blaming my mother in one end. Then I would blame my father. I was always blaming someone. I was in denial. And for the longest, for years after, you know, I was always hopeful that they would get back together. So then as I got older and I would see my 
father with somebody, whoever it was, a female, and I would hate her. I would really, really hate her because I'm thinking nobody can replace my mom. And then on the other hand, if I'd see my mom with a male friend, I hate him. I would look at him. I wouldn't want to get to know him. I wouldn't want to shake his hand. I wouldn't want to say hi. I wanted nothing to do with him. I was angry. Nobody could take the place of my father. You know, hopeful that they would get back together. And there was a lot of that going on inside of me. Thinking back, that was a fire inside of me. There was help that was offered. I remember once my mom was asking me if I would like to go see a psychologist. And of course, I shot that one down. This was like when I was 14 or 15 or so. So yeah, that was a world shaker for me. And when I was younger, one thing that I liked to do was gamble. Whether it was shooting dice, playing pool, betting on sports games, whatever it was, I figured out how I can put a dollar on it to make it a little bit more interesting. And sometimes that would get me in a bind because mind you, I'm 13, 14 years old. I don't have a job. I'm using lunch money that my mom is giving me. And when that runs dry and I lose, there was a couple of times where I owed some money, $200, $300 cause I'm playing IOUs. I'm playing on debt, on credit, and I don't have the money to pay. So I would have people at school looking for me. Hey, you know, so-and-so, he's looking for you. And he and I heard that he, he got a few guys also. Protect your neck, buddy. On account of that, sometimes I would miss school, avoid classes, cut class, just to, you know, avoid that situation. Running away, avoiding the situation. I was good at that. So there was a few times where I got myself in a bind on account of that. And also when we were younger, all the way up until about 16 years old or so, we played baseball for Little League. That was something we were dedicated to. We uh, we had practice throughout the week. We had games on the weekend and we were playing that for, man, from like t-ball till 16 years old or so. So baseball kept us busy. Um, I think one of the things that kept me from not getting too heavy or too far off into the deep end early on was also during that time when I was going to school, I bumped into a friend of mine and he was someone that I played baseball with. And at that time he was going to church. He started going to church and he would invite me. You should come out, you know, visit, check it out. You might like it. Eventually I took him up on his offer and then became a fanatic. <laughs> I was all in. I was going every day, I was going to prayer, I was going to service, we'd have Bible studies, we would go on the weekends to pass out flyers, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. There were even times where we would march through the streets or pick a street corner and get on the blowhorn and start preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Repent, Jesus saves the good news. So I think because my time and my energy went into that and I felt like for a moment, it was about a couple years, I felt for a moment that I had some peace and happiness. You know, I wasn't feeling so angry or mad or upset. I think that kept me from going too far off early on in life. Yeah, I drank a little bit, had a smoke here and there, but it was nothing too serious. So I met some good people in church and throughout the course of me studying on my own and reading and I started to come across things that I felt were contradictions and so I had my doubts I had my concerns I had my questions and I felt like they weren't answered it was always you just have to believe you gotta have faith blind faith 
So that eventually led to me leaving. I left the church, stopped going. The backslider, like a swine going back to his vomit to eat it. That's what they say. That's what the Bible says. When you turn from God, it's like a swine going to the pen and eating its own vomit. That was always in the back of my mind. I was thinking about that as I left the church and I separated myself from the presence of God, so to speak. Now I had no protection again. I was naked in the middle of a spiritual warfare, so I felt no more shield, no more protection from God because I chose to stray away and I was back with all of the emotions that really weren't sorted out or dealt with. Angry, lonely, and still a grudge inside of me. I still felt that. These were emotions that were still seated deep inside of me and they were eating at me, but I wasn't expressing it to anybody. I wasn't talking about it. I just pushed it down. So after the church, I just got around the folks that I knew had the weed, you know, had the drink. I wanted to get high, I wanted to smoke, and I wanted to go back to something that I felt would put me in a better place and bring me some happiness at that time. Because I was feeling lonely, I was feeling empty, I was feeling angry, and I didn't like that. So when I got high, when I drank, I felt happy. I felt like the color was brought back to a black and white show. I was alive again. Things were bright and bubbly. That's how it was in the beginning. You know, you're floating. You feel like you're on top of the world. You know, joking with friends, having a good old time, getting around, everybody chipping in to get high, to get a sack, roll it up, pass it around, and you're feeling good. Just floating, easing by, without a care in the world. And that's a scary thing because you start depending on that. You learn that that's something that is a quick fix to escape anything that you're feeling that is uneasy, that's unfamiliar, that's unsettling, that's making you uncomfortable. You learn that this drug can help wipe that away for a second. That's a dangerous thing. It turns into a daily ritual and a habit. And then you depend on it to just be around people, to function to face the real world. You feel like without it, you're nothing. Because I had no confidence, I had no self-worth. I had no self-esteem. I was empty, I was broken, I was frustrated. I didn't know why, I didn't know how to express it. You know, I had all these things going on inside of me and I didn't want to face it. And then I learned that this drink and this drug can help me with that. So that's what I relied on. You try to hide it at first, think nobody really knows. People that you're trying to keep it from, maybe your family, my mom, my dad, my brothers. But then it's hard to hide because it's a daily thing. And then you start doing some shady things, being around shady people. So there were a couple of times where I had to leave the house. I'm living with my uncle. My mom doesn't want to deal with it. Things come up missing in the house. I'm setting the wrong example. And then there was another time where I left. I had a couple friends. They came by, they said they had an apartment. My friend's aunt was going to rent it to them and then they were asking me if I wanted to chip in and be a roommate. So I was like, let's do it. We took off, headed to Burbank, had an apartment. That was good for a while. We had a little bachelor pad, everything, living that singles life and just 
parlaying and that fell apart real quick. We came home one day and then my friend's aunt and her husband were in the front yard and they were doing something to the apartment. Unexpected. After work, we're pulling into the driveway and then we thought (laughs) they were inside the house. We had bongs on the table, bubblers on the table, empty CD cases with cocaine residue, empty beer bottles laying around 40 ounces on the bed. You know, it was just a mess. And of course, she didn't like that. She said that as much as she liked me, I don't think it's a good idea if you stay here because if anything happens, I don't want to feel responsible for having let you stay here. So I took that show on the road and we ended up staying in the back of a church in Van Nuys. And the good thing about it was that there was a a pastor who we were cool with and he let us go to the house, wash up and everything like that. But we did that for, I don't know, about a month or so. I don't remember exactly how long it was, but that got old real quick, if you could imagine. So then I ended up calling my mom, letting her know I'm sorry. You know, I messed up. I'm going to get my act together. What are you going to do? I'm going to make up these extra credits that I need to make up to get my adult school diploma and I'm joining the military. That was like my last resort, something I didn't want to do. I always said I would never do, but when push comes to shove, which way are you going to lean? So she picked me up in front of the payphone that I called her from in downtown Burbank or Van Nuys, somewhere over there, North Hollywood. Go back to the house and then I walk over to the recruiting station and let them know my plan. I was like, I didn't graduate. I'm short on some credits. Can you guys help me with that? And I want to join the military, but only if you can promise that you can station me in Hawaii and give me some money for college. The recruiter said, no problem, we can do that. And so they helped me with my credits. He said, I can sign you as an infantryman. I didn't really know what that was. He told me, all you guys do is clean weapons. No big deal. Easy money. It's a cakewalk. Like, cool, all right, let's do that. And I'm going to Hawaii. Perfect. I always wanted to go to Hawaii, so I thought that was my ticket and my opportunity to get to the island (laughs) via through the military. So everything was said. I had my ASVAB date. And in the day, the recruiter came to the house to pick me up to go take care of the ASVAB where they do all the testing, the hearing and the urinalysis and a few other things, the physical and stuff. I wake up and then I'm walking to the living room and then I see my brother and my mom, they're watching the television and it's of a plane hitting towers in New York. I was like, what is this? They look at me and they look back at the TV. Then I hear the news reporter talking about war on terror, Afghanistan, the towers are down. I'm like, huh? This can't be real, what? And as we're looking at it, the recruiter pulls up so then I go outside to meet him and I tell him, I don't know if you've seen that. That can't be good, right? Oh, it's no big deal. That'll get sorted out. I'm naive. I still want to do something different. I want to get away from my situation. I want to run away my escape route. Let me get away from this. So I say my goodbyes. My mom's crying. My brother's even crying. I'm crying. We don't know what's going to happen. Then I go, take care of the ASVAB, do that, sent the basic training, finished that in Georgia, and then I'm stationed in Hawaii. I signed up for four years. I only did two. I ended up being discharged, a general discharge under 
honorable conditions because of misconduct. That's a whole other story. In the beginning, you can imagine I'm away. I still have the mentality that I had before I left, which was immature. I was living for the moment. I was still reckless. I had no self-control. So even though I was in the military and you have guidelines and you have rules and you have a certain way you have to conduct yourself, little by little, I started to come unhinged. You know, staying out longer than I should be getting mixed up in the nightlife, enjoying myself a little too much, and then bumping my head with authorities, having a problem with some of the sergeants, some of the things that are going on, voicing my opinion, and you can't have an opinion in the military. So there was a lot of things that went on, and I will take responsibility for the way I was acting. Those were my choices, bad choices, bad decisions. Um, I could have went about it in a different way, but I didn't, and because of that, I was put on extra duty for a time, 45 days confinement. So that pretty much meant after we were released for the day, which was usually six in the morning, we had our schedule. We started our PT and we worked till about five in the evening. After that, I had 30 minutes for child and I would go report to the headquarters. And then from there, I would work from six to like midnight and just do that for 45 straight days. Needless to say, during that time, I really stopped giving a F and then I was slapped with another Article 15, 45 days extra duty, 45 days confinement, until eventually the first sergeant decided that it was best that I go. He was like, you're bad for the morale of the platoon. We don't need this right now. Um, you know, it's it, there's a whole lot that went on with that, but let's just say I wasn't walking the line that I should have been walking, and that led to a lot of problems within my unit within my company and inside of my platoon. But I will say I did meet some good people. I did enjoy myself. I did learn a lot and I was exposed to the world outside of California. So that was a good overall experience. There was just a lot of things that I was not in agreement with. Let's just put it like that. And at that time, mind you, this was not too long after 9-11, we were on call. So when I was discharged and finally sent home about two or three months later, my platoon was sent to Afghanistan. I dodged a bullet because unlike some people, I wasn't too excited about going to war. I was in disagreement with it. I didn't believe in the cause of war. I felt like we were fighting somebody else's battle and, and they didn't want to get their hands dirty. So they're sending us to catch bullets in the name of democracy. So I was against that. And in a way, it was a blessing that I was discharged when I was. And unfortunately, because I was still keeping in contact with some friends from Hawaii, uh, one of the girls I was talking with, she told me that there were some people who I work with in the same platoon that were killed in battle. One of them, he was in a helicopter and the helicopter was shot down. He had two kids. He had a wife. And that's the cost of war. But for what? So I dodged the bullet there back in California. I was happy to be back, but at the same time, I was confused and I was a bit down on myself that I wasn't able to finish out my, my term. So yeah, back to trying to figure out what to do. Do I pick up some classes and go to college? Do I just start working? And although I'm happy about being back home and not being in Afghanistan, I'm still down in the dumps because I feel like I disappointed a lot of people. I know my parents, even my brother, they were happy to see me go to the military and do something like that. They were proud of me 
you know, they were really proud of the situation and to have failed that felt like a bit of a disappointment. And it doesn't take long for me to get right back to it. Smoking weed again, snorting cocaine again, playing with the crystal again, you know, doing these things to pick me up when I'm down, to relax me when I'm feeling agitated or frustrated, to calm me when I'm feeling anxious. And it was always something I can fall back on as my default mode to not deal with my own issues. And I felt like nothing else was able to bring me happiness, was able to bring me joy but that. And yeah, you know, I would feel like there were times when I was able to hide it. Oh, I'm a functional user. You know, I'm a functional addict. They don't even notice. I can be at work high and they don't even realize it. Or I could be driving the forklift on one, you know, tweaked out of my mind. They don't even know it. Working night shifts, sometimes even popping ecstasy while I was working the night shift in the warehouse, picking orders on ecstasy. Man, you know, now that that just comes to mind. Sometimes I trip out, we're watching these videos on YouTube and it's of people on drugs and they're working at a fast food restaurant and it looks like they're nodding off. And and I'm thinking, man, you know, how can that be? Now that I think about it, I was doing the same thing. I was no different. You know, there was nobody with a camera to record it and throw it on YouTube, but the people around me, the people working with me, and I know what was going on. Damn. So it starts to become a problem when your life revolves around that one thing at all costs. It doesn't matter. And the shame of it really having nothing to show for myself later on in life, years of doing that, and um, the confidence, the self-esteem, everything. There's nothing there. I'm an empty shell. When I'm high, I feel like I'm on top of the world. I feel bold and I feel like here I am. But without it, I was weak. I didn't want to be around family. I would avoid get togethers. I wouldn't be found when there was birthdays, holidays. Sometimes I ditch and act like I had something else going on or, you know, just disappear. They're trying to call me. My cousins, my brothers, my mom, my dad trying to get a hold of me. Hey, we're you know, we're going to go fishing or uh, we're having a get together at the house. We're going to have dinner and I'm just avoiding everything or I'm nowhere to be found here and there. It's a hit and miss with me. I don't want to have to face that me and my situation. Everybody else seemed to be doing well. They had their families. My nephew was growing. My brother's married. You know, everybody seems to be doing well. And there I was nothing to show for myself, acting like everything is okay. So in my 20s, pretty much going nowhere real fast. And because of the drugs being such a top priority, that was my go-to. Again, mixing up with the wrong people, with the wrong crowd, putting myself in some vulnerable situations. And sometimes you're guilty by association. You've got to watch who you hang out with. Be mindful of the people you surround yourself with. Because there were times being around people who may have did something wrong to somebody else and that comes back around and bites you in the ass. There were times I was with people and because of, I don't know, some past beefs or something, a gun is pulled out, we're peeling off, driving around the corner, trying to get away, you know, things like that. Or because of your desperateness or you thinking that you're invincible, you wrong somebody. And there were times where I did that and I had to pay the consequences in a few different ways. Thankfully, nothing serious happened, but when you play with fire, you get burned. So if you have no respect for yourself, how can you respect others? 
I wasn't able to face myself and work out the things I was struggling with and that was my behavior and my actions. That was my substance abuse. I just kept falling back to it even if I lost jobs. There was a few jobs I was fired for that very reason. Coming back from lunch drunk and the boss smelled it on me. Being at work high, getting in an accident, failing a drug test. That's just how it was with me. I had no sense of responsibility, no sense of self-worth. Now that I look back, how could I, even though I, I felt like I was confident, you know, I was acting that way. And I was, during that time when I was around family, you know, I was trying to put on a front and be funny and joking and acting as if everything is all right. But I mean, deep, deep, deep down, I was broken still. I was broken. And that's just being honest. So just a lot of mixed up bad behaviors, bad situations, um, a lot of close calls and run-ins, doing things that I normally wouldn't do, all for the dope, all to get high. And it was a combination of a lot of things. It was, uh, you know, I would rotate the drugs around, you know, it was always weed and alcohol for the majority of that time, but I would always rotate the other substances you know, I'd have a fix for some ecstasy. Go to the casino, disappear, be there for a day or two, gambling, losing my money. And it, and it got to the point where I was going pretty often, like three, four times a week. And as a matter of fact, one time, coming back from the casino, I was popped for a second DUI. And even then, this is to tell you where my mentality was. When I was pulled over and got that DUI, my second, I was blaming the police. I was mad at the cops for that. They shouldn't have pulled me over. I wasn't speeding. Never mind the fact that for years I was drinking and driving. I was driving on coke. I'd even drive after popping a pill of ecstasy sometimes. And I was doing that almost on the daily. Thank goodness nobody was injured, nobody was hurt. I might have bent my rim one time driving up a curve. But other than that, nobody was harmed, thank goodness. There was even times that I was pulled over and the cops let me go, but I still was not willing to take accountability or responsibility for my actions or my choices. I was blaming the police officer, saying he shouldn't have pulled me over. I wasn't driving. I wasn't driving in and out of the lanes. I was driving straight, like, what's your problem? That's crazy. There, there was a time, I remember one time going to the casino and I didn't stop all the way at a stop sign. There was a police officer, he pulled me over, stopped me. I was smelling like alcohol. I was right outside of the casino. There was an empty vodka bottle on the passenger seat. He seen that, he smelled the alcohol on me. He still let me go. He was like, just get to the casino, park your car and stay there. Imagine that. And that wasn't, there was more than one occasion where that happened. So I had ample amount of chances to get my shit together. But I still was fixated that this was all that I had to make me feel better about my situation. No matter all of the headaches, the heartaches, and the pain and the hurt that came with it. So I got a second DUI. I ended up because I didn't have money at the time. I wasn't working. I just paid it off through jail time. I stayed a month in jail in the county jail and paid it off as time served. My second DUI. No job. Feeling like I'm a waste of space now. Years wasted. 
starting to get old. At this time, I was in a relationship and it was going on five years. And it was during this time that I woke up, looked at my phone and seen that there were 40 missed calls. I called back to get the news that my girlfriend of five years was killed in an accident. A drunk driver hit her. Her and her girlfriend were driving home. She was riding passenger, a teenager. He was 19 years old, driving drunk, ran a red light, T-boned the car, threw her out the car. She suffered internal bleeding, didn't make it, 25 years old. And there I was, years and years of driving under the influence, driving drunk, driving high, two DUIs. And she would always tell me, don't, drive like that just give me a call i'll come pick you up why do you do that she was never one to do that and of all people that was a tough one and i was a mixed bag of emotions angry upset sad devastated i felt guilty something had to give i wasn't drinking and driving anymore but i didn't stop using during that time, there was probably a few months where I took a break. I slowed down on it, but I was still using. I still liked the feeling of Coke. I still liked what it did for me. I still popped the muscle relaxers and chased that with my drink. I was still using. Some years passed and then I remember a friend of mine, his dad, he came across a post and it was for some seasonal work in Alaska. And so I jumped on it. I ended up doing that. Went to Alaska and started working seasonal and did that. And I remember it was a good experience. You know, it was good to get away. You know, it was something to be proud of. It wasn't a huge accomplishment, but it was just something that it kind of brought some meaning back into my life. After the first run, I came back, I bought a camera and everything, and then I took a trip to Cambodia. I was there for a month. Took pictures, seen the temples, um, and got to experience life over there, Southeast Asia, which was real nice. I stayed at some hostels, ate some good food, met some good people. I even bumped into a family and ended up staying with them. Um, they cooked dinner for me and everything and um, some very friendly people. So I had a good time over there. It was a good, good experience. And I started to feel a little better about myself. Did a couple more runs in Alaska, some seasonal work. And little by little, the drugs and the drink, they weren't so important anymore. I was seeing that there were other things in my life that could bring me happiness. Because with that, me working, coming back, I'm getting back around family spending time with my family, having dinner at my mother's house. My brothers are there, my cousins are there. You know, we're enjoying each other's company and I'm appreciating that time away from all the mess, from just the uncertainty of being around certain people in an environment that isn't always the friendliest, let's just say when you have the habits that I had. So that was starting to fill my my heart up with something meaningful, you know, something that felt good. This is what I was missing. And once that started to form and develop, I think that was a big reason or a part of why the drugs weren't doing what they once did for me. The highs started to feel like lows. That buzz wasn't cutting it. 
I mean, here and there, I was still getting around the old friends and at barbecues and, you know, whatever it was that we had, mostly cocaine, that would get passed around, but it didn't taste the same. It didn't hit the same. The conversations, everything, the environment just wasn't satisfying anymore. It wasn't pleasing to be around anymore. Some were good people. I hope they're in a better place right now, but there comes a point in time when you have to separate yourself from an environment that's toxic, from a relationship that's toxic. So little by little, you know, I was finding that there were other ways for me to find this peace, this happiness that I was missing and longing for. And then how the wild world works, I end up meeting my wife, and then that's all the more reason. I remember speaking with her when we were first talking, and as we were getting to know each other, I told her a bit about my past, and there was something there, it was something special, and I knew for a fact that if I involved drugs in this relationship, it wasn't gonna work. So now I had something to work towards. There was an anticipation of something greater, you know, just ahead. This is worth it. The drugs, the drinking, that daily abuse and the daily habits that I had, the toxic poison that I was putting into my body day in, day out. I already know what that was. And that wasn't it anymore. That wasn't the answer. That wasn't taking precedence over nothing anymore. I didn't need it. It wasn't doing anything for me. I seen the bigger picture. I seen that there were other options and I seen that there was happiness and there was peace and there was fulfillment in something other than the drugs. So fast forward, here I am in Germany. I've been here for almost six years now with my wife. These days, there's something else that's bringing me happiness. It's spending time with the beautiful woman, growing and experiencing life together, sitting with my emotions and not trying to mask them, hide them, or cover them up with chemicals. The simpler things, you know, getting back in touch with nature, things that at one time were foreign to me, or they had a place, but I always distracted myself with other things. Now, away from all of that, we have our place here. We have a dog, a cat, two turtles, a garden, so we enjoy gardening together, growing things, tending to that garden. You know, and just the communion that my wife and I have for one another. To be able to have someone to share experiences with. Even the smallest of things, taking a walk through the forest or just traveling to a new town or a new village or, or sitting around the house and just joking and laughing, watching her do things that she enjoys doing. And for the time and the space that I have to be able to do things I like to do. And that's just the calm, simple and easy things these days filling my mind with knowledge and things that I think will be helpful and useful for me, you know, to just grow and mature as a person, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. That's just where I'm at these days. And I'm happy with that. I'm content with that. I'm thankful for that. So there's not even a question or a bout that I have every waking day that I'm fighting to keep clean. And man, that itch is really still... That thorn is poking at my side. I know the choices. I know what they bring. And I know what this has brought for me. When you taste the best, for me at least, why settle for less? So years later, 
how I can finally say that was all my doing. It was my choices. It was my attitude. It was my actions. It was my decisions. All of that was my doing. I decided every day that more than anything, this drug or that drink was at the top of the list. And I didn't care who was getting burned. I didn't care who was getting stepped on. I didn't care what was getting broken. Those were my mistakes. Those were my issues that I created. And I feel like um, throughout life, I paid a lot back into this karmic debt <laughs> in a lot of different ways. I'm not perfect. I'm still a work in progress, but I'm just trying to live a healthier and more balanced life. Now, I'm not saying I don't drink anymore. In moderation, I still do that. But man, it's night and day compared to what it once was. And I'm in a better place. I don't have to have a million dollars. I don't have to have the biggest toys. I'm content. Of course, I'm always striving for something more, but I'm content in my heart with where I'm at, with what I have, and with the beautiful people I still have in my life. So let's appreciate what we have while we have it. And I hope everybody listening, I hope you guys find your piece of happiness if you haven't already. Thanks for listening. I didn't mean for it to go on this long. I mean, forgive me at times if I was ranting, but I just wanted to share a little bit of my heart with you all today and hope this finds you in good spirits. You guys can check out the website. I've been putting blogs up there and um, different topics there. You can find along with past episodes. You can find a way to contact us and even leave a message and give feedback, all that good stuff to keep in touch. And of course, you know, if you would like to be a part of this show and share your story or even a story of someone in your life that has impacted you in a positive way, you could always reach out to me via email. I'd be happy to connect. Until next time, and very soon, peace. Looking for a sign to know I'm on the right road. Ain't seen no signs.